0: Hello,
1: Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your resource for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Kennedy. I am Jenny Carlson, also your host. And we are back in the saddle again. We ride. We ride again, because we've actually recorded
0: this once, but then there was so much news during our editing phase, and while I was frankly, chasing deadlines, that we are here with so much more news before we recap
1: episode six of season three. Yeah, we don't need to get into too much of how the soup is made, but yes, this is generally the last thing we record because we want to be up to date on all the latest going-ons around the Miyagi-verse. Indeed,
0: or as up to date as we can be. At any rate, there is a lot of news. Um, To begin with, we have ordered the new... Vinyl issue of the Cobra Kai soundtrack.
1: That's true. That'll be here before we know it. We did
0: not get it on tape, but
1: we did already have it on disc. It's fine. I don't think we have a tape player right now anyways. So. There's
0: no way in this house that we don't have a tape player. You, you guys can't see this, but Colin's office looks like, did you see Wolfgang's basement in the Explorers? Colin's office looks like there's so much retro tech. We have our original computers in here from when we were kids.
1: I mean, those are collector's items now. Yeah, well. Like much like Johnny's box of collector's items.
0: They're family heirlooms. I mean, they might fetch more money at the pawn shop than Johnny's. Um, we also have news about seasons four and five and a little talk about spoilers.
1: I mean, we're not gonna spoil anything. That's not our purview, no, but but
0: first let's talk about what what news we have of the seasons.
1: The big announcement since our last episode was probably that we now have a premiere date, which was December. Yeah. That was revealed Premier in month. that. Yes, a premiere month. Yes. I mean out of that month there can only be four days that they could possibly premiere it. They're probably not gonna premiere it on Christmas week, so that gives us three days in december that they could possibly premiere it
0: gossip blogs had the day as december 17th and some other people have been like have we bandied that date back and forth because that's the closest friday to tournament day
1: you know from a streaming platforms perspective like that's also the smart money because then you've got a captive audience at home for that holiday break indeed so drop the whole season that week before they can then, lock me
0: up any day
1: yes exactly uh yes we'll be definitely binging and probably recording a rapid episode for that week yes so we will be busy we
0: will be busy we've also learned that season five is filming soon this is something we all kind of suspected would happen season five's been officially
1: confirmed is yes the thing. well yeah.
0: yeah see i mean my, my feeling is that with with all the hints about Honeycrisp season that was about that season five was coming uh mm-hmm. and now The checks have cashed from Sony and Netflix. And season five is forthcoming as they will be making it this fall.
1: That's right. So, yes. So, it's official Cobra Kai is renewed for season five, which I guess technically that means this show is renewed (laughs) for another year. It is. Uh, Because, again, our goal is to... Recap all Miyagi verse. So as long as they keep making new Miyagi verse, we're on the hook. We're also on the hook for that musical, by the way. It's starting in St.
0: Louis, so maybe we'll meet them in St. Louis. Or
1: oh that's true. In St. Louis. Yes. As
0: they say. But there also briefly before we delve into this season three, episode six recap, I just wanted to talk about the uh Sony shout outs because they had a Q&A with the showrunners. Um and put it on Twitter, and some of our pals submitted questions, and there were video responses Mm -hmm. from the showrunners, et cetera. And uh, on the wall behind the showrunners, there was a corkboard, or a couple of corkboards, with some post-its, index cards and post-its, leading to what appeared to be plot points.
1: Mm. I'm wondering if you spent any time zooming in on those or not. Well, you know, I have a very laissez-faire, uh, attitude towards spoilers and towards revealing stuff. If I find out something inadvertently, you know, whatever, but like, I'm not looking to spoil myself. I mean, call it the skeptic in me, but I find it very convenient that they would have such a visible and conveniently placed corkboard behind them with all the plot points for the season just laid out so carefully that you could just zoom in on it and see what they're planning for season uh, five or beyond.
0: I I admit I zoomed in for a couple of minutes and I read some plot points that may or may not or your story beats that may or may not be real um, with these showrunners because they have such a tight relationship with the fandom or with the fandom as we see it in social media it's entirely possible they're trolling us it's also entirely possible they don't care or they forgot like who knows it, as far as i could read and there are some breakdowns of this from our friends online but as far as i could read Uh, There was I haven't listened to those yet because I'm trying not to spoil myself, um, but too much. But I don't think that it noted whether it was season four or five that was up on the board. Um, So I don't know. My question is, like, do we care? Do how do we relate to that as a show? And also, what do we do when we look at spoilers and try to spoil it? Part of it is the fun of the banter with the showrunners. I think that drives a lot of people to look not necessarily Mm -hmm. knowing what's next. Um, But I have a lot of faith in the show so, I don't need that information. Like, I, and back in my Star Wars days, I used to need, or Game of Thrones, I used to need that information because I didn't always feel like I could trust what was coming. But with this, I've, I'm pretty, pretty confident. So, I'm not worried about, I, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. I also think that as far as the purview of this show is like, we primarily recap. Mm-hmm. so we're more concerned with what actually winds up on the screen than what potentially could happen yes. right. It's fun to speculate, but at the end of the day, the text that is is more important than the text that could be uh you know uh, for giving you know provided they don't give us any sort of like you know Miyagi multiverse like so many other franchises are starting to Kai, uh, <laughs> to do yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's fair. And you know, as long as they have a sequence of, of Daniel teaching Johnny Miyagi do then I won't have a problem with it. Exactly. Just making it clear.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about them Emmys? That's right. We got some Emmy noms. That's right. Big Emmy noms. The show we love has uh-huh. been nominated for four Emmys this year. That's right. Uh, Yeah, they're having a banner year for Emmys. Previous years, you know, they would always get a stunt nod, naturally. We got that. Uh, But yeah, and we have that again this year. But also this year, uh, they've gotten nominated for sound mixing and sound editing. And let me say... So deserved. You know, a shout out to that entire team because... As a Cobra Kai-centric podcast, I'm remixing that audio quite a bit <laughs> into our show. That's true. And so I, I am always very impressed with uh, the little touches uh, that they're doing with that, uh, with the audio mixing and audio editing, uh, when I have to re-edit it. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> um, but the big news is uh, they've also gotten the uh, biggest category yet, which is Outstanding Comedy Series for 2021. So yeah, that would be very cool. When Ted Lasso and Hack split the vote and Cobra Kai wins, I'm going to lose it.
0: I'm not yes. sure if that's really going to happen, but I in mean, my art, it's already happened.
1: I feel like that's probably a very likely scenario. I mean, it's I would it's, take it's it. look, it's it's a tough category this year. Like it is. there, there's quite a bit happening uh, with some certain other shows. Um, but, Our leads yeah. were robbed for best actor. That's fair. But then again, they've also been renewed, so they get another shot at the big ring next year as well. So,
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of press, as I'm sure you guys have seen, or maybe you haven't. If you are blissfully detached from celebrity media, Um, there's been a lot going on because of the Emmy buzz. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of interviews, great content out there. almost too much to name, but if you go on Cobra Kai Twitter, there's it's coming in fast and furious. So don't miss it. And it's great to see they're getting that legacy award from the Hollywood Critics Association. So, you know, or they will have by the time you all listen to this. So they're just picking up so much steam. Um, this train cannot be stopped.
1: Speaking of trains that can't be stopped, we also need to continue with our show, which means recapping today's episode of Cobra Kai. That's right. Well, without further ado, then let's get to it. With Season 3, Episode 6, King Cobra. King Cobra. Much like last week, we open with a flashback to another character's backstory. We're in Vietnam 1968, the Chiron informs us, and some of the background footage and helicopter footage feel taken right from Shutterstock. In fact, I'm going to call this Camp Shutterstock. Indeed,
0: Camp Shutterstock works. We see John Creese at mail call being given an envelope. They call him Johnny, which is a nice touch reminding us of the double nature of John Creese and mm-hmm. John
1: Lawrence. Yeah, once we get on the ground with these guys, like the way it's filmed, the color grading really does make it like they are they are really going for it with the whole Vietnam 60s 70s era film here.
0: In this scene, Crease has gotten mail from his girl back home. He's opened it up and looked at Betsy's picture. And a guy with dark hair and a ponytail swipes it and shows it to another guy. And the swaggering guy with the ponytail is listed in the credits as, appropriately, Ponytail. He's played by Seth Kemp. And the more mild-mannered guy we will learn is called Twig. He is played by Nick Marini. So they banter about the picture, but are interrupted by the sergeant. Who is sent to summon Crease to the captain in the command tent? The captain is played by Terry Serpico.
1: Yeah, and the captain calls Crease a real go getter, which. Uh,
0: oh, your CO tells me you're a real go getter.
1: That's putting it mildly.
0: Indeed. He asks Crease if he has a death wish because he's low key recruiting for some special ops teams. Yeah. Crease says some people can't tell the difference between death and the fear of it.
1: You got a death wish, kid? I'm not wishing for it, just not afraid of
0: it something about his bearing here really reminds me of robbie
1: i can see that but yeah but the captain's position is well we're all stuck in this vietnam movie so we might as well capitalize on it and do some like dirty dozen style missions but because we're uh, on streaming we can't afford a dozen i can most afford maybe four guys max
0: yeah well the captain says most of the people in the military there don't make a difference anyway but crease does and uh crease responds
1: defend my country be a hero
0: and the captain laughs, <laughs> kind of like, sure, whatever, which gives us a clue about his personality and character. And then he says he's recruiting for direct action missions. No insignia is your ID. They're going to do guerrilla tactics, demolitions, hand-to-hand combat. And uh, the captain also says that he learned Tang Do under Kim Sung Jung during the Korean War.
1: Which I believe is the same exact line that Terry Silver gives to Mr. Miyagi when they meet in Karate Kid 3. My name is Terry Silver. My master is Kim Sung-young of South Korea. My teacher senses respect.
0: When Chris is quote-unquote dead.
1: Quote-unquote.
0: Quote-unquote. So this tracks historically in the, with the Korean War and that right before the Korean War broke out, the original schools of Tang do were formed in Korea. This is a synthesis of native Korean martial arts like Subak and Taekyeon and Kung Fu that Mm. the founder, Hwang Ki, learned when he was in China. So it's a more martial art, more aggressive fighting style.
1: Yeah, naturally.
0: (laughs) Indeed. But the schools were formed right before, say, the captain from Cobra Kai would have been in Korea. And so it's very plausible that he could have picked it up there.
1: I would love for John, Josh, or Hayden to get at us on Twitter and let us know if they're, like, I know a lot of shows have what's called the show Bible, quote-unquote, which kind of gives you a rundown of all the characters and stuff, and it's like, maybe that's not as necessary these days because we know all the characters from Karate Kid already. Maybe there's some stuff about the new characters, but what I would specifically like to know is if the Bible makes any reference as to what, characters know with regards to their martial arts skill because daniel clearly knows how to fight with the bow staff so specifically i'd like to know like do you have a show bible and in it do you have kind of like a rundown of what skills all the characters specifically have because we know daniel demonstrated the thing with the bow staff at this valley fest in season two and then they called that back in season three in the previous episode but is like, does Hawk know how to use a psi? Or if you just want to like, ping us the PDF of your show Bible and we can just kind of peruse it at just our drop own box leisure. Just Dropbox that to us, please. Yeah. Big three yeah.
0: showrunners of a majorly successful streaming series. Hey, look, it's no skin <laughs> off there,
1: Caboose. Like, yeah, why not?
0: I should also add that Tang Soong Do, like, obviously, Billy Zabka can do it. It's a real school. Pat Johnson, the stunt coordinator for the original Karate Kid does it uh, i think chuck norris does it also on the wiki well what doesn't
1: chuck norris do when the boogeyman goes to sleep at night he checks his closet for chuck norris
0: indeed but there's someone on the wikipedia who may surprise you namely john ratzenberger aka cliff Claven of cheers verification needed but indeed he is also listed as a practitioner
1: of Tang Soo Do. so guys i think we know where this is all going John Ratzenberger for Cobra Kai season five let's get on it he's the real big bad Ratzenberger for
0: five he's kind of the the Billy Carter to Terry Silver's Jimmy Carter or the Roger Clinton he's Terry Silver's long lost brother whoa I kind of love this yeah after Cheers ended Cliff Clavin stopped carrying mail and in fact just
1: became or he's Kreese's father wow that would be amazing to see as well that's incredible I mean, we're, we've already had Ed Asner, so Ratzenberger wouldn't be a stretch. Oh, my God. Come on, get on this. Yeah. Make this happen.
0: There, there would be nothing funnier than watching John Ratzenberger kick ass.
1: Or, or more terrifying. <laughs> or more
0: terrifying. Especially if he's, like, talking to you with obscure facts as he's kicking your ass, as Cliff Clavin is wont to do.
1: I want to give you a little demonstration of what might what have happened to that guy if I hadn't kept a loot on my anger. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: At any rate, the captain tells Creese that if he makes it through, he'll get a beret and some scars. And Crease says, What if you don't make it through?
1: Well, then he'll show up on some MIA list in 30 years when they declassify all his shit.
0: This also counts as the story of how Brando's unit went rogue in Apocalypse Now. The horror. The horror. So as Crease is being recruited in the past, we see Crease in the present doing some recruiting on the grounds of West Valley High. Watching girls play basketball, watching Kyler's wrestling team, telling him that he will mold him into the ultimate weapon. Meanwhile,
1: right. He wants all these no-goodness to go all in.
0: At Camp Shutterstock in the past, we see Crease officially signing on, and now we shift to... Casadel Johnny, i.e. Receipt of Flats, where Johnny is narrating a Facebook message he's received from Allie and laughing sentimentally.
1: Hey, Johnny. It really has been a long time.
0: She wants to know more about Johnny.
1: It's crazy how things change. She asks, Who are you now? What are you up to these days? That's a pretty loaded question. What are you up to these days? But yeah, I think what we're going to see is that Johnny is going to spend most of the episode trying to answer this seemingly simple question. Allie goes on to say, I don't know the first thing about you. Your profile is pretty bare. PolitiFact equals true on that one. Yeah, so Johnny kind of stares at the prompt. It's a very loaded moment. Well, he's
0: also been over all the pictures on her page, right? Like her with her kids at the beach her eating sushi, her in a variety of artful poses with a lot of joie de vivre right? So he's gotta live it up
1: Speaking of joie de vivre, let's head over to the LaRusso Man.
0: Where Daniel has just arrived from Okinawa
1: Mom! The conquering hero has returned (laughs) Daniel arrives home from Okinawa with treats, but no bonsai trees Bonsai trees Just weird candies and other souvenirs from his trip abroad. And he's so
0: excited to see Amanda. He can't wait to tell her about everything that happened in Okinawa. He's a conquering hero. and He's got gifts for the kids, including some soy sauce as a Kit Kat flavored treat for Anthony. Because what else is Anthony going to do but eat?
1: I would just wanted to punch in here to remind people, hey, don't sleep on those weird Kit Kat flavors. If you're at the Asian market, you grab those suckers. The green tea ones, fantastic.
0: All right. But Amanda explains that the kids have evacuated to Lucille's, a.k.a. Daniel's mom's.
1: My mother's wife. What, what happened?
0: John Creese.
1: Funny story, Daniel. It looks like while you were away, Amanda and Creese got up to some stuff.
0: It's nice that they take the opportunity to mention Lucille
1: since we don't see Randy Heller this season. Absolutely. Even if we're not catching up with our favorite characters, we're at least kind of getting shout outs and updates on their status. Bring them back, Big Three. If the Lost Finale could reunite
0: everybody for that, then surely you can bring all these characters back next season. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! Fair. Ouch. Uh,
1: too soon? Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> anyway, let's cut over to the Cobra Kai dojo where Mitch is regaling the other cobras with the tale of how they outnumbered and broke Dimitri's arm while he was defenseless.
0: They also pan in from the snake aquarium, which looks the snake has grown i think looks like the harry potter basilisk anyway hawk looks ambivalent about his victory over dimitri and tori comes up to him and says that she didn't believe he would do it but you know hawk pivots because he doesn't want to talk about how awkward he feels and says yeah what well, they
1: got what they deserve for what they did to miguel
0: which of course makes tori look
1: awkward because she
0: doesn't want to talk about it she hasn't seen miguel i don't want to talk about it
1: and it's at this moment that some new faces come in. It's Brooks and Kyler and about a handful of stunt performers who don't have <laughs> lines, but they are here to turn it up. I'm gonna call you guys uh, Chode Nose and Taint Breath. <laughs> the hell you just uh, say. Mitch falls on old patterns and tries to jump in, yeah.
0: Mitch tries to banter with the new people, but Kyler makes it clear that he'll kick his ass, so.
1: Oh, uh, nothing, it's just a just thing we do around here sometimes.
0: Hawk senses danger and goes over to Kreese to explain that he doesn't think these bullies are Cobra Kai material. But Kreese says these guys have natural abilities. Which is exactly what's been missing in our dojo.
1: Yeah, Kreese is like, I am the danger, but oh wait, that's another show.
0: On the heels of this, he gathers everyone around and says that Cobra Kai membership is a privilege, not a gift. Everyone has to compete to belong, and only the strong survive. Cobra Kai to a T, right? Everything is about exploiting vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Anytime Kreese sniffs out a vulnerability, he uses it as an opportunity to push people and scare people a little bit more. That's right. Speaking of vulnerability... Uh... But Miguel can't Two, stand up, so Johnny like lets him drop three, from the harness.
1: Go. All right, better fall that time.
0: He says uh, they'll take five. Let's take five. And Miguel makes conversation, mentions that Carmen's been talking about Johnny a lot lately.
1: That's right. But from his vantage point on the floor, Miguel leans over and sees Johnny's laptop perched open and a massive message in the reply field. The length of a Russian
0: novel. It is a Facebook message that Johnny's writing to Allie. If you freeze the frame and zoom in on the image, it's hilarious. Uh, and John Hurwitz tweeted about this. With a screen cap, we know that this message was written by Matea Green who was a production assistant on the show and then a writing assistant. And now she's a staff writer on season four. Nice. And so also shout out to
1: number one internet sleuth, and Amy Anderson for helping us find that her tweet. Yeah. This is where your HD streaming experience pays off. So you can punch in on things like that and just read a massive thing that somebody bothered to write. Shorter messages are way cooler. Like this just looks desperate because it's way too long to be normal. Miguel spies
0: an opportunity to help Johnny not look like the unfrozen caveman lawyer. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, your world frightens and confuses me. Even though Johnny has 35 years of stuff to send, Miguel says brevity is the soul of wit Sending her this would be like if you liked all her photos.
1: Because- I got amped up, okay? Look, she put a smiley face in the message. She's even got little red cheeks. That means she's getting hot. Whatever you do, don't like all of anyone's photos. So he did that
0: after all, huh? Yeah. Johnny admits that he got amped up to reply because she sent a smiley face, and he wants to know if that means that Allie's feeling hot
1: miguel says maybe later i will go over with you what the peach emoji means but not right now
0: sometimes a smiley
1: face is just a smiley face miguel suggests a complete profile makeover and then you'll be sending your message from a position of strength i like that miguel is turning johnny's teaching back on johnny
0: so he can show no mercy on social media. So Miguel asked Johnny if he's got any pictures that they can post
1: because his profile is pretty bare. But we'll come back to that in a second because we got to jump back over to Mans, where Amanda is giving Daniel the info dump on everything that happened in the last two episodes while he was in Okinawa.
0: Yeah, Amanda calls Chris a Cape Fear level karate psycho and you can see that Daniel feels validated.
1: Counselor! Counselor!
0: mad that the that the students broke dimitri's arm and amanda has also had it up to here so she says that if they're gonna do it they're gonna do it the real way go to the police because of course you know daniel wants to do it all himself which is what got us into this mess in the first place
1: yeah once again amanda's here with the trademark realness and let's see how well a real solution works in the Karate Kid: World of the Valley. Meanwhile, over at the Cobra Kai dojo, Kyler and Brooks reacquaint themselves with Hawk. Oh, you know, I mean? it's the kid with the lip. I thought
0: it moved. And call out the fact that his funky new hair distracts from the scar above his lip. So Hawk is kind of reverting to his younger, shyer self, but he's ready to fight when Kreese says, "Let the games begin."
1: Yeah, he immediately pairs Kyler and mitch and mitch gets in a kick and kyler threatens him but then mitch tries to kick and punch but kyler knocks him flat on his peach emoji
0: wow it becomes an mma tourney when kyler flips mitch to the ground and puts him in a headlock and mitch taps out but crease looks knowingly at hawk and then tells kyler to finish mitch so of course kyler knocks mitch out no scruples there mitch is both knocked out and
1: kicked out of the dojo Mitch taps out and Kyler wins the match, that's when Kreese says to quote-unquote Finish him. And uh, it's one knockout punch and Mitch is gone. More ways than one. Well, that's the thing. When Mitch does manage to get back up and start crawling back to his spot, Kreese is like, well, where are you going? And it's at this point we learn that this isn't tournament. This is for real.
0: You know, it's funny because Brooks is carrying it on, whooping it up one last time, and he reminds me so much of the the jerk sidekick in the young Indiana Jones part of The Last Crusade when mm-hmm. there's that guy who just won't stop screaming like with excitement. That is Brooks.
1: Got some. Woo! Yeah. I got some, Dora. I got some.
0: This is my second Indiana Jones reference in two episodes. So when Kreese kicked Mitch out... Hawk tries to speak up, and this is a, a typical Cobra Kai moment where Hawk is completely deadpan. but he, the dialogue runs, Sensei, Assface, has been loyal to the dojo. Because, of course, that's Mitch's Cobra Kai name. And Kreese replies again, only the strong will survive. So like a bad boss, right, Kreese makes everyone fight for their jobs.
1: Like the worst boss in the world. We're all best friends. We, I love everybody here. But sometimes your best friends start coming into work late, and that is when it's nice to let them know that you could beat them up. But we will have to put a pin in this, because it's time to hop in our time machine and go back to Camp Shutterstock, where the captain is taking Crease through the paces of the No Mercy lifestyle.
0: While they scrap, he tells Crease that if he loses concentration on the battlefield, he's dead meat. Like Dutch says, dead meat.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, Twig and Ponytail are looking on from the side while Crease and the captain are fighting. The captain is telling Creese that, you know,
1: your enemy wants you dead. So you have two choices, kill or be killed. No hesitation, no second thoughts and no mercy.
0: And drilling it into these three. You can leave all that peace and love crap for the college sissies back home.
1: Well, I mean, Crease volunteered, so he's the least piece of love guy in the room right now.
0: Yeah, the captain stops to go collect a letter in a red envelope, which is ominous. He opens the letter and looks over at Crease as Crease is talking to those two friends. But he tells the guy who brought the letter not to tell Crease because it could make him lose focus,
1: mm-hmm. could get
0: him killed. Meanwhile, off to the side, Crease is now looking at Betsy's picture, telling her, "The home office." A bit ominous. So I have a question. What did you what did you think that meant when this happened in the
1: scene? Well, I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious. Like we've got red letter, we've got don't tell crease, and then we've got a picture of dollface, and I'm like, "Uh-oh." I
0: did wonder for a minute if maybe she was pregnant because that could would make crease not want to die. But we know that she's pretty much the only thing in the world that he cares about. So if the captain got news that could put crease off his game, it probably doesn't bode well for her. Right. As if we needed any more evidence that he wasn't dealing fairly, the captain is now withholding information.
1: But then we take this opportunity to cut from photo to photo as we go back to the future and Casa del Johnny. Oh, this is a great fun Easter egg. Johnny's got the saucy photos out.
0: Yeah, he's got Billy Zabka's teen beat shots.
1: Yes, though. Yeah, this was the fun Easter egg I alluded to a moment ago where, yeah, Johnny's got all these super saucy pictures that he has beefcake uh, billy zabka beefcake billy zabka in a shoebox. in universe these are presumably just photos johnny took of himself at the time but out of universe these are definitely like yeah teeny bopper magazine shots that they've repurposed here as johnny's trophies i guess
0: yeah miguel asked johnny if he has more current photos and johnny says he's not sure if he wants miguel to grease him up right now because baby oil gets all over everything Thanks for that mental image. But instead, Johnny gets the idea that they'll
1: play Allie's algorithm with
0: photos of stuff she already likes.
1: Ah, see? You get them started young working the algorithm, you know? This is how you do it.
0: I don't think Johnny deserves that much credit
1: because he has no idea what an algorithm is. No, no, no. I'm giving Miguel the credit. Miguel knows what's up.
0: That's true. You're right. And now, whether he likes it or not, Miguel is coming along to take pictures of Johnny in
1: novel new positions. Indeed. But we'll have to come back to that in a moment. Because now we are at Valley PD with Amanda and Daniel and our new friend, Officer Cody. Played by James Logan. Played by James Logan. Telling her, well. Amanda shows up to file a restraining
0: order against Creese only to learn that John Creese has beat her to the punch.
1: Yes, figuratively this time, thank goodness. So yeah, in return for her slap in the previous episode, Creese has shown up to the police and filed a restraining order before Amanda has gotten a chance to come down to the station and do the same. This leaves our new friend, Officer Cody, a little perplexed because he says,
0: Just be the same thing. You can't be within 500 yards of him either way, so...
1: All right, this is a joke. You're just going to take this guy's word for everything?
0: It's up to a judge to sort out.
1: So there's really no point to it, you know. So it's, it's an interesting case of crease playing the system in the same way that some of the other cobras play the system at school
0: he's like well he says he's a vietnam veteran as amanda protests that he's he's unhinged and, and you can see daniel looking on because daniel didn't know that amanda hit him so now amanda sounds as nuts as daniel did in previous seasons when he was all upset about john crease um the cop says well you know crease is a green bray who went through a lot of turmoil so stay 500 feet away from him and in a stroke of signature counterbalance entertainment humor the police officer thanks amanda for coming in so that they could serve her this way rather
1: than having to go out and find her all this to say it leaves amanda sounding as nuts as daniel usually does when he complains about crease's supervillain tendencies shall we say yes but anyway they walk off even though she says quote unquote i have another idea but it's the nuclear option I hate it with every fiber of my being.
0: What oh what could that portend? (laughs) Meanwhile at Cobra Kai, Tori is fighting off the young woman whom Kreese recruited, I believe, from the basketball team in an earlier scene. But Tori drops her and keeps her spot on the team pretty
1: easily. This is... Gisette valentine actress stunt performer and writer according to imdb
0: so now that tori has finished that job and we won't be seeing sarah again at least not until she joins topanga crease picks brooks for the next round which means that somebody's gonna have to go up against this guy and put him in his place who's that somebody gonna be calling
1: well there's only one person who could step up and that is hawk
0: yeah hawk knows he has to establish his dominance early and get this over with and hawk declares he's mine Heads up to Brooks. We see now that Hawk has a Grim Reaper tattooed on the spot where his moon tattoo used to be when he takes off the, the top of his gi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's going to go up against Brooks, who looks doubtful about the whole endeavor. Hawk
1: is ready to unleash all his pent-up rage on Brooks. And Kreese sees the writing on the wall and tells the ref to put the flags away so that Hawk can go full fight club on him. Where'd you go, cycle boy? I like destroying something beautiful. And he really does. He's just
0: like flinging Brooks around, punching him in the face, you know, elbows to the face, all kinds of stuff. Brooks tries to use the force of his body against Hawk, but Hawk's got defensive chops as well as offensive ones. Brooks is asking for mercy, begging Hawk to stop. Please, stop. But Hawk does not
1: care. He draws him. blood early and often. Yeah, he puts him down
0: on the ground. And when Creese says to finish him, we flash back on Eli trying to cover his scar in the cafeteria. And then back to Hawk, who's just pummeling Brooks as Creese looks on, basically shivering in pleasure. So when Hawk stands up with his knuckles covered in blood and spits on Brooks, we see number one Tori looks taken aback by it. Kyler looks like all of his previous excitement is now checked because brooks is on the floor kind of groaning weakly, and crease declares a- all right class i think we can call it a day somebody pick him up
1: yeah yeah crease is like clean this stuff up and uh, and then they all bounce uh, it's a real awkward moment
0: yeah kyler has realized this may not go the way he thinks
1: this is not going to go the way you think Cut to uh, across town where Johnny and Miguel are now engaged in a montage. Indeed, I think this is actually in
0: LA, or some of these are, in one Johnny's sitting on a bench reading Queen of Hearts by Kimry Martin, which is appropriately a story about friendship and forgiveness between two women doctors. Not that Johnny cares because
1: he throws it in the trash when they're done. And then Johnny and Miguel hit the art scene, taking pictures in a gallery where, of course, Johnny gets in trouble for touching the art. And also in front of one of Colette Miller's angel wing murals, which originated in L.A., but you know, now they're all over the place.
0: Then they go to Kitata Sushi, which is also an L.A. spot. And while they're there, Johnny scoffs at the dragon roll.
1: This is a point where Johnny almost becomes an unreasonably unsympathetic character for me because it's like, Who's gonna turn down that delicious dragon roll? That thing looks amazing.
0: I do understand his skewering the dragon roll through with one chopstick. When you get these overstuffed
1: like American style rolls, like handling them with l- with more than one bite with chopsticks starts to become an issue for I'm, sure.
0: I'm sure that Johnny ate shish kebabs at the Country Club in the '80s. Oh,
1: for sure. No oh, sushi yeah. though. Clearly,
0: no. No. Johnny cannot believe that quote unquote.
1: People actually eat that crap.
0: As soon as Miguel's taken the picture, Johnny spits out the piece of sushi and says he's going to wash his mouth out, generously offering Miguel the raw fish that he just regurgitated.
1: Johnny is one of those rare people who, in the Venn diagram of Asian food fans and martial arts enthusiasts, He's like not. He's like on a completely different page. <laughs> he's not even on the diagram. He's on a chalkboard like two rooms over. <laughs> <laughs> or
0: papyrus. The comedy of Billy Zabka posing as Johnny trying to be normal in the world is pretty hilarious. You can tell that they're having real fun with this whole montage. Anyway, Johnny bails to go rinse his mouth out just long enough for Tori to come around the corner. She assumed that Miguel had come to see her but he didn't know she worked there. She explains that she's now working two jobs, this and the roller rink, because her mom's not doing well.
1: This leads to a real awkward moment as Tori admits that... I I know that I should come to see you. I just didn't know how to help. And Miguel snaps back. So you did nothing.
0: Well, Tori says that what they're doing is getting Miyagi-Do back for what happened, but this bothers Miguel, too, because he says he never cared about Miyagi-Do or Kreese.
1: PolitiFact equals true on that one. You know, Tori says she doesn't believe it. She says... Were you just going out with me to get Sam's attention? I saw you with her. I didn't have a choice. But
0: to attack, I guess? Miguel says, yes, she did. You always have a choice. And this is really the key thrust of this season. And really all of Cobra Kai is no matter your background, you are
1: given options and your choices matter. They make you who you are. Yeah. And... Tori's option, as it always seems to do, is that when she's attacked, she kind of doubles down on her own defensiveness and she finally says, I don't give a shit because all that matters is who wins in the end. Yeah, because she's gotten all paranoid and is accusing
0: Miguel of having only gone out with her to make Sam jealous. And, you know, it's so grim because we saw her be vulnerable. And again, she didn't know what to do with it. So she became angrier and angrier and then she just said something she couldn't take back. And she walks off, leaving Miguel look extremely upset.
1: Meanwhile, at the LaRusso-mance, the nuclear option is at hand. Oh, it's uh, Daniel's
0: mother's famous chicken cacciatore. Armand Zarkarian has been invited back to the show to talk business over Lucille's chicken cacciatore.
1: You should try dipping your bread in the... Mm. The plan is to get Armand to agree to evict Kreese. So they're pouring
0: on the charm, including letting him dip his already bitten-off bread into the communal plate.
1: Yes, I mean, consider it a charm offensive with Chicken carciatori in the place of Napalm. Wow.
0: But Zarkarian doesn't want to do business with them because he doesn't trust car salesmen, but of course he's doing business with Amanda now, and then just like Creese called Amanda darling in the last episode, Zarkarian says,
1: You have a proposal for me, darling? Amanda holds back her bile just long enough to ask Zarkarian to evict a tenant. and the A.K.A. Tenant, Snake Karate. A.K.A. Snake Karate, A.K.A. Crease doing business as DBA Johnny Lawrence <laughs> Cobra Kai um,
0: at any rate Zarkarian says that Crease is an excellent tenant much better than the last guy Crease pays on time every time Amanda is willing to double the rent to buy him out but Zarkarian wants triple and Amanda says that all she wants is for Crease to be gone and Zarkarian says the double dip I like the double dip
1: did you just double dip that shit So? You dipped the chip, you took a bite, and you dipped again.
0: I like the double dip. (laughs) Now, obviously, this is a reference to Zarkarian's love of dippable foods, including the chicken cachetori, but this isn't the first time we've heard the term double dip on Cobra Kai going all the way back to season one. Does Watch Party have an analysis of this term for us, and what is Team Counterbalance trying to tell us with their ongoing runner?
1: That is a good question.
0: I know. Anyway, back in the show, Zarkarian is in agreement, and Daniel chimes in that they want him out by tomorrow. Optimistic music plays as Daniel and Amanda look pleased.
1: Yeah, they think they've done it, but let's just see how this plays out in actual practice. Uh, We cut to the Cobra Kai dojo, where Kreese has returned to his office to admire a photo of himself with his fellow soldiers twig and ponytail. And then we do a little bit more time travel back to the backlot jungle where Crease, the captain, Twig, and the boys are all on a mission to detonate a grass hut of some kind.
0: Yeah, but Twig screws up the radio call, giving away everyone's position.
1: They play this moment for a lot of tension. There's a lot of business skulking around the hut, planting the bomb.
0: Ponytail is the one planting the bomb, and if their position is given away, The captain is telling Crease to blow the hut, but if he does it, it'll kill Ponytail. So everyone is caught, and Ponytail pays the price. And this is when we get the reveal
1: that. When they get caught, we get this little back and forth with our six commandos Captain Twig, Ponytail, Crease, and two extra guys. The captain is telling Crease that he screwed it up because he gave away
0: their position. You son of a bitch, Crease. We had him. You killed us. I I could and then Ponytail sort of frog march back in with the guys holding guns on him. We've learned that the captain blames Crease, so Creese is blaming himself because Crease couldn't do it, he choked. Meanwhile, Twig looks up to see them bringing Ponytail in
1: and Ponytail is dead meat. Oh God, he's dead because of meat. Yeah, Ponytail unfortunately is double dead meat as he gets shot conveniently off frame so that we don't have to put this in the Netflix ratings warnings. Meanwhile,
0: Twig freaks out because he knows it's all because of him. It's all my fault Shut your
1: goddamn mouth, Silver
0: It's because he choked on the radio before Crease choked on pulling the charges. And as Twig freaks out, the captain says to him, Shut up, Silver. And thus we learned that it was never Ponytail. Even though he seemed like Terry Silver, Twig Terry Silver becomes ponytail by appropriating his swagger later in life.
1: Indeed. And uh, yep. a, a complex interweaving of events, yes.
0: Oh, yes. Then we flash back to Crease being pensive as he puts the frame back
1: on his desk. Alongside a grenade, I just noticed. I thought that was a kettlebell, but you know. Anyway, so Zarkarian comes in, and boy, did he pick the wrong time to come calling on Crease.
0: He explains that Kreese needs to pack up and get out because he can't rent here anymore. In the friendliest of ways, he explains this. When Kreese asks about the contract, Zarkarian explains that... All my contracts have escape clauses and I have eviction papers. Kreese explains that that's not happening. And Armand, who now we you know, we never get to see him standing up, but he's quite a short guy, turns to the door and calls in... Eric! Krikor!
1: Well, I just have them credited as Zarkarian's hefty nephews, like these... Guys are absolutely huge. The photographer frames them absolutely huge next to Zarkarian. Exactly. And they kind of do a fun little, like, cracking knuckles, putting on uh, brass knuckles action to drive home the point that they're here to evict Crease by force. says, I just cleaned the blood off that mat.
0: Which would almost be a Johnny Lawrence saying, but then Kreese smiles with obvious relish at the thought of... So much evil smirking from Martin Cove in this episode, and I'd love to know if they give him direction for this, if he just chooses scenery automatically, and my
1: money is on the ladder. Back at Casa del Johnny, Miguel falls to the floor again, and Johnny tries to talk tough to him and says... By seeing his ex, he let that get to him.
0: Yeah, but Miguel's like, we spent all day fronting for your ex, and at least I told my ex how it is. So Miguel's upset at Johnny's hypocrisy over spending the whole day doing stuff for Allie when he stuck to his own principles when dealing with Tori. Miguel is so angry and so enraged at Johnny, because Johnny's running away from being a sensei, really, right? And -hmm. that's what Miguel's really bothered, is that they're pretending like Johnny is someone else when really he's a sensei, and if he can't see that, he's blind. Uh, And Miguel's so busy telling Johnny off that he doesn't notice that he's now standing up.
1: That's right. Miguel is so pissed that it causes him to forget that he's even standing upright without the aid of this elaborate harness rig. And uh, Miguel is understandably thrilled.
0: Having said that, there's a fantastical component To this whole deal with Johnny curing Miguel through the power of rock and intense emotional authenticity.
1: Well, it's this interesting trope where it's like, oh, we're going to get Miguel so emotional that he's going to, like, I guess they're implying that there's a psychosomatic component to this without actually saying it. It's very mind over matter. Which, again, in the Karate Kid universe actually kind of makes sense because there's a lot of stuff that does happen in the actual Karate Kid movies that's very mind over matter. Like, how is Daniel even standing during most of that, you know, final fight in Karate Kid 1, right? If
0: Mr. Miyagi could heal Daniel with just a quick, like, chiropractic pop,
1: you know, there's a lot of mystery that
0: by doing it this way and having having this magical chemistry be the thing that heals Miguel, they're actually removing some of the Orientalism from Mr. Miyagi's special skills with daniel right so in a way that's good but on the other hand it's just it's
1: it's sometimes patently ridiculous oh yeah no this scene is there for these guys to sell and sell it they do
0: yeah and i mean it's a little nicer for me than the scene in the previous episode when they're at the rock concert even though we all needed that rock concert right but this feels a little more like how it would be for miguel to become mobile
1: again well the rock concert twist tells us it's possible and then that exists to kind of help sell this moment when it happens
0: yeah and miguel thanks johnny and johnny thanks miguel because you know johnny has brought miguel to the point where he will walk again but miguel has brought johnny to the point where he will be a sensei
1: again oh that gives me goosebumps to contemplate that well, we will get to that in the analysis section. Right now, let's join Johnny on his brand new, uh, revamped Facebook.
0: Well, Johnny's reviewing all the pictures that he took with Miguel, and we can see from his face that he's not happy about it. Uh, he's going to delete these posts because he looks ridiculous, and he knows it. I
1: look ridiculous. We hear him narrating a new response to Allie while he clicks through all the pictures from being at sensei and... Helping Miguel with his physical therapy. It's quite something in conclusion he says. That's who I am. I'm a sensei. Finally, acceptance.
0: Except now his message is too long yet again. And so after having given a whole summary of his raison d'etre. too long. He erases it in favor of the pithy, more Johnny-like, not much you.
1: Well, at least he didn't throw an eggplant emoji in there.
0: I wonder if homer simpson ever had such a moment
1: of authenticity and then just went for the donuts instead oh i guarantee you he did in fact i'm gonna drop a clip of that in right here i'd sell my soul for a donut
0: and johnny's very satisfied with his response to Allie. meanwhile at one of the locations of larusso auto group we have Louie and Anoush back with their double act, selling cars on the floor. Louie's giving the soft sell to a woman and dragging Anoush any opportunity to have them banter. Obviously, the show is going to take it. While Amanda and Daniel are gloating over their triumph on the balcony above. Amanda thinks that she's beaten Crease in one day. She says, that, If I was around in 84, you probably wouldn't have as many stories to tell. Daniel says, I can't believe it's over. And indeed, it is not over.
1: Daniel gets interrupted by a phone call. At first, it's Armand in the office looking pretty worse for wear. Yeah,
0: he's looking roughed up. His shirt's open, his hair's standing up. And then Crease grabs the phone away. Hello, Danny boy. And tells him. But you can't end a war with diplomacy. Crease looks at his knuckles that are just a little bloody. And he suggests that Daniel prepare his students for battle
1: because now it's open season. Yeah, like Dennis Hopper in Speed, he's calling just the gloat. You couldn't understand the kind of commitment that I have? You're wearing a man's life's work,
0: but I got your attention now, didn't I, Jack? And at that moment, we hear screaming in the dealership down below as what appears to be a python crawls out of a luxury automobile. I guess we're left to just believe this is a venomous snake. And Anoush hates snakes, so he jumps into Louis's arms with a piercing scream, and everyone runs away as Amanda looks shocked and Daniel enraged. We fade to another kind of end snake.
1: That's right. We go from a literal end snake to a figurative end snake.
0: It's really too bad that Sam Jackson isn't here to to lament about the state of the dealership and its snake problem.
1: I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday play. Yeah, Louie and Anoush are clearly in their own Abbott and Costello movie somewhere. And with that, we conclude Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode 6. King Cobra.
0: King Cobra. So, Colin, how did you find this episode?
1: I found this episode to be very interesting and very rich. As we kind of alluded to in the recap portion, like they do some of the same beats that we've seen earlier in the season. We get Crease flashback beats, we get Miguel's physical therapy beats, but they're, again, they're kind of building it and, and iterating on those beats in interesting ways that keep pushing things forward and keep finding new twists like with miguel specifically the physical therapy beat that he has his breakthrough in this episode is played more for drama whereas in the previous episode it was played more for comedy and again we needed the comedy version to kind of set us up for what was possible so that, that we could then do the drama beat of the same thing precisely in this episode yep So, yeah. And again, all the crease flashback stuff, I mean, we've had some of it in earlier episodes. Spoiler alert, we're going to have a lot more of it coming up in, in the next few episodes. But, like, I think they do serve their purpose. I think there was a lot of talk both on our show and just in the general discourse when the season dropped of, like... Netflix, pay us some extra cash and just give us the whole crease and twig and silver in Vietnam movie. It doesn't have to necessarily even have to anything to do with what's currently going on in Cobra Kai, like just kind of a fun bonus or like a a dramatic bonus, I guess, because Vietnam, I can't think of that many Vietnam movies that were that fun, except for maybe Good Morning Vietnam. But
0: okay, so this episode was directed by Steven Tushida hopefully I pronounced that correctly. And it looks like it was written by Josh Held and John Hurwitz, primarily. This this gets right to a thing that I was thinking while I was watching this episode, which is, you know, what does it mean or do, if anything, that there's more possibility and more buzz surrounding, surrounding the idea of a Cobra Kai prequel than there is surrounding a Miyagi-Do prequel? I mean, we know that back in the day when they were making the Karate Kid trilogy, Robert Mark Kamen almost wanted to Fully back to the future. Or, or was that Avildsen? Or maybe them together. Like they had talked about doing Oh yeah, this flashbacks. was one of
1: the pitches for one of the Karate Kid movies that would have been two or three. Which is the idea that we just go back in time and have Miyagi tell us the story of like the earliest days of Miyagi-Do. Well, like some of Shinpo which, Sensei and the, Shin and the boat. Shinpo Sensei and the boat and all that stuff. Some of the stuff gets lip service in this series actually. But yeah, like I would love that movie too in fact that would be probably a better movie than the uh crease in vietnam movie the crease in vietnam movie at the end of the day would be dismal and also we know how it ends right yep but the miyagi Shimpo sensei movie could be like a fun 70s kung fu slash martial arts movie version of netflix. what was going on
0: netflix is cultivating so much friggin' anime right now give us the anime
1: Ooh, that would work Miyagi too. Of Miyagi-Do's origins. Give it to us. Yes, that that would wash the taste of the 80s Karate Kid cartoon right out of my mouth. Hey
0: now, there are some <laughs> decent Easter eggs that, can, that come out of that. <laughs> but no, I mean, we deserve that kind of treatment, right? And that is yeah. something that I think everybody can get behind. And plus yeah. it erases the, the problem, well, doesn't erase, we'll never be able to do it quite the same as we could if Pat Morita were alive but with the Netflix budget and the attention for that, the Miyagi-Do prequel would be absolutely phenomenal. Look, get at
1: us. We'll pitch it.
0: But here's the question I have. When I said that about we can get a Cobra Kai prequel, there's buzz surrounding that more than a Miyagi-Do prequel. You know, these guys were the villains That's in, true. in the original trilogy and in the OT. And we saw that that Johnny and the, and the OG Cobra students were were kids at heart who except for dutch who's a true sociopath and now in this federal pen everyone else has a good heart to some extent uh, and they're there for each other, you know, but now what is happening is we're humanizing the villains. I mean, like Nawel on on Twitter had this this whole conversation about can Crease be redeemed, which is, I think, a question back and forth. And a lot of us say no.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: like, do we have to see everyone's redemption story? Do we have to humanize everyone? Does everyone get to be a, a relatable villain like Walter White is at different points in Breaking Bad? Or can they just be a villain or can they just never choose to be nice And, you know, do we, do we, should we spend as much time on the bad choices as we spend on the good
1: choices? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think that even comparing what's going on today to what was going on in Breaking Bad isn't necessarily even fair anymore because it's like we're, I mean, we're not like, I don't know what you would call the current environment of streaming but we're definitely no longer in what was quote unquote the golden age of television where it was mad men breaking bad like all these prestige cable shows that were kind of dominating for a little while those shows were not concerned with whether you liked the antagonist or not at the end of the day i don't think that you can make the argument that walter white wound up being a likable character or even an anti-hero i think now in whatever you want to call the current streaming era the the stream age the industrial streamolution whatever you want to call it like i think what we're seeing now is the meta narrative has taken over and we're recontextualizing everything and like people do love an anti-hero they love uh, a good guy turning bad they love a Loki, for instance, where it's like this guy was clearly the villain in the first couple of Avengers movies, but now we want to do a cute Disney Plus show about him, so we're going to kind of... Or you mean a bad guy turning good. A bad guy turning good. That's kind of the extreme other end of the spectrum, right? Like, I don't ever think we're going to see that turn for Crease. Crease is never going to turn good in the course of this show. Certainly not. But I do think that there is an interest in providing additional context and maybe not necessarily lionizing Crease, but you're certainly getting close.
0: It's interesting. I think that he is being lionized. Well, one of the reasons is it's hard to separate Crease from Martin Cove, who's so good at being Crease and who relishes his position in the Miyagi Verse fandom, right? Who is an enthusiastic ambassador for the franchise. And who's hilarious and and just great to watch and must have a killer agent because of the billing he gets and everything, right? But that to the side, Mm -hmm. you know, he is an eminently watchable and enjoyable figure. He also happens to look exactly like my late grandfather. Putting that to the side, also, you want to know more about why this guy was so bad because it's so out there. But, you know, the more we see him be humanized, the more the show in order to remain the karate kid and to keep miyagi like in the miyagi verse that's why we first called it the miyagi verse and created this concept because miyagi and his kindness are the ontological principle the b- basis of existence in this universe mm-hmm. the kindness the the choice to be good so the more it humanizes crease the more the show's burden of proof that the choice you make is what defines you and i think that the the showrunners and the writers may be tempted Even if Kreese isn't redeemed alive, to have Kreese go out with the final redemptive act, kind of Kylo Ren style, which we all knew was going to happen, or like Darth Vader, where there's a big boom at the end that takes Kreese with him, either figuratively or literally, but Mm. he saves Johnny in that moment. I don't want to see that because I think, and I said this on Twitter, the braver choice the braver storytelling choice would to have Crease not be redeemed and to have Crease go out on those terms. You know, Terry Silver is going to be a whole nother kettle of fish that we get to discuss next season. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't feel like there's too much to Terry Silver's origin story. Like, I feel like you just cut to a big pile of cocaine and that explains everything <laughs> I need to know. And some toxic waste. Uh, some or toxic you just waste. snort the toxic waste. Maybe that was the whole his whole thing to begin you're with you're saying he switched the, the i'm saying there's a whole like i'm saying if Creese's if creases prequel is a vietnam movie and miyagi's prequel or the miyagi family prequel is like a, a 70s old school martial arts movie then silver's prequel movie will be like a, a trauma movie it'll be like toxic oh. avenger <laughs> wow <laughs> wow
0: wow yeah that's I'm deeply impressed by that. If you told that. me
1: Terry Silver graduated the class of Newcomb High, I would not be surprised.
0: Incredible. I mean, the thing is that Terry Silver is the next Hawk, right? We saw him being the kind of the the, the twiggy guy. Off to, no offense to actual Twiggy. The twiggy guy off to the, to, to the side who was mild Now, that is interesting. Yeah. The,
1: there is a definite parallel that they're drawing between Hawk and Terry Silver, and with Hawk's character turns this season, it'll be very interesting to see if we see that parallel continue into uh, season four.
0: Hawk's cruelty has been of a hurt kid, right? Right. But Terry Silver's cruelty was a, a already very powerful adult man choosing to do harmful things to kids. For sure. So, you know, despite the fact that the show may be equating their emotional origins... We are yet to see Hawk's choices. And, you know, right now, at this point in season three, midway through, Hawk has made some cruddy choices. Like he's hurt Dimitri, but he's ambivalent about that. And I guess I should add, too, that while, you know, you talked about patterns, right? One pattern that this episode repeats is that often by the sixth episode in a Cobra Kai season, you see the history or the building up of Cobra Kai being reflected upon. Like last season, we had all the OG Cobras Going, going out together on their on their boner cycles one last time on that fateful journey. Mm-hmm. This time it's a flashback to the origins of Cobra Kai and the building up of the new dojo with Kreese's super soldiers. So all that to say, like, it, they're, they're doing these things that have emotional resonance with prior seasons, but it's important to reflect on the specificity right now, like the fact, that Hawk is not the same as Twig, even though they have similarities. Like the fact that Crease and Johnny aren't the same, even though Crease used to be called Johnny. A lot of food for thought. Before we get to the MVP of the episode, I just wanted to throw in, like, did you see cracks in the show? I know there was a blog post that I read about the snakes because I was really curious, and this guy was just like, I can't believe that they're not even pretending to show venomous snakes
1: (laughs) on the show. I mean, I feel like it's the same as Camp Shutterstock. It's like... At a certain point, you know, even though they do a great job with the budget they have, and the fact that they're shooting in Atlanta and not Vietnam or Okinawa, although well, they did they did go to they Okinawa, did, they Colin. did take they did take a camera and a couple of uh, and our and a couple of key actors to Okinawa. That's true. This is no
0: castle map painting situation.
1: But I don't think the Tomi Village set was in Okinawa. Let me no, put it that. That's way. That's in Atlanta. We know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that to say is when you're dealing with stuff like snakes on a set whether that set be a plane or a car dealership or whatever there's a lot of math that has to get done and that math is can i afford a good animal handler can i get that animal handler to source me a actual poisonous snake can i get that animal handler with the poisonous snake to make sure that that Snake has been devenomed, and with each iteration of that your cost for all that kind of a line item goes up and up and up to the point where it's like well maybe we should just spend the money on a cgi snake or maybe we should just go to the local pet store and just grab the first <laughs> large snake that we can find again and, yeah. when
0: is cobra companion gonna interview the snake and get the snakes take? i want the snakes take as well i desperately hashtag, need the snakes take. hashtag
1: give me the snakes take but again all that to say i think they do just fine with the budget and the resources they have you know, in universe, I don't think Crease was concerned with putting a poisonous snake in LaRusso Auto. I think any reasonably large sized snake was going to work for his purposes of just scaring a bunch of stiffs into vacating the premises, you know, and kind of sending a message to daniel like that's all he needed to do the fact that he even got a snake in there undetected he's
0: special ops colin of
1: course he got a snake in there undetected well that's what i'm saying like you shouldn't be thinking about the kind of snake and whether that makes logical sense within the universe you should be thinking about how crease got in that dealership without anybody noticing when robbie had so much trouble doing in season one and maybe you should be looking under your bed for crease tonight when you go to sleep that's all i'm saying
0: listen You guys don't know this, but Colin made me watch The Shining, which I had never seen, and I get really scared, and he told me that I would be fine, and I didn't sleep for, was it three days? Three days, yeah. And then we saw Room 237, and what happened next?
1: You didn't sleep for another three days?
0: Uh, Thereabouts, yes. Yeah. So guess what's going to happen tonight?
1: We're never going to watch another (laughs) horror movie again, which is a shame, because I watched Ginger Snaps the other day. It was delightful. Now
0: that Delta 8 is okay to consume in Texas, we may have some infinite possibility ahead of us. Oh, fine. Just need some chill. Yes. At any rate, all that to say, yeah, I agree with you that the show the show makes decisions because of budget. I'm not as bothered by the snake, and although I still wish Johnny wouldn't call Miguel's legs pussies, I'm not bothered by the fact that the physical therapy seems rushed because of the way they sell it because
1: of the show's commitment to storytelling um And again, not to hand-wave away everything, but but again, with regard to the physical therapy stuff and how that's paced, it's like, at a certain point, you just have to remember that while the Valley does feel like a real place because they do a great job of giving you a good sense of place and the actors are all really good actors and they're committed and you believe the things that they're performing... At the end of the day, the Karate Kid universe is a bit of a fantasy world. What? It's, it's not completely fan. fantasy. It's, Colin, it's, it's not fantasy. a fantasy world.
0: It's California. They've got guys in chicken suits. But it, They've got kids who drive before they're legal to drive. I mean, as this much is as California. I hate, it's not yeah.
1: California is fantasy. It's like Pretty Woman. You're right. California is definitely not in our world. It's it is, Hollywood. It is, it is not reality. It is reality adjacent. That's right. Uh, so I guess also Reseda by proximity is also reality adjacent.
0: Yes, indeed. Now, as we wind down, I just wanted to hear your nomination for MVP of this episode.
1: MVP. Now, this is a good question because there are a lot of good nominees here, like, you know, Ponytail... Obviously, we're not going to see Ponytail again, so maybe I should... We hardly knew ye. Ponytail, we hardly knew ye. What's his story? Did he love cocaine as much as silver? We'll never know, right? We didn't even get a Dimitri scene in this episode, so can't give it to Dimitri.
0: I mean, the kids are at Lucille's, so we didn't get to see Sam either.
1: Hmm. You know what? Actually, I was this close to giving it to Jacob Bertrand again, but he got my nomination last time, so I'll hold off until later in the season. But I'm going to give my MVP to amanda that's who i
0: have written down oh nice yes
1: so yes so amanda gets my mvp and here's why my reason is that amanda at least unlike a lot of shows Amanda at least tries the real world solutions (laughs) to the problems at hand just so that we can even even if it is just so that the writer's room can demonstrate hey real world solutions don't work in these scenarios that we've set up at least she's trying at least she's carrying the trademark Amanda realness to its logical conclusion and then when she gets to the end she's like oh, well, I guess we got to start using Karate Kid Solutions because the regular stuff's not working, gang.
0: You know, I think that that she's the Miyagi-Do adult with the most arc in this episode. And obviously just putting an arc for a character in a plot, in a screenplay or a teleplay, doesn't automatically mean that they're going to be the MVP because everybody in Cobra Kai has arcs. But because Amanda is so often the voice of reason, she doesn't get to grow as a character in the ways that we would want for someone as brilliant as Courtney Hengler. There's just not time. And we get to see her kind of repping the real world over and over again. But in order for the show to really build steam, it was time for her to fully enter the karate world and and team up with Daniel in, in this way that is not just on the side or cheerleading but supporting from within we saw her take sam's side and come to empathize and sympathize with her situation and now it's happening with daniel and it's just delightful also to see courtney hangler play the reveal that she now has a restraining order taken out against her that's great so i would say that that she is my mvp as well just because it's great to see her get to act from a variety of different perspectives and for her to get to be the slightly unhinged one for a change
1: agree so with that we will wrap it up for king cobra
0: feel free to hit us up if you've got answers to the questions we posed this season we would love to hear your thoughts
1: yes hit us up on uh twitter at karate kid pod and we're always posting our stuff on there we just got an update to our cover art by a good friend of mine joe kniff so that it's is, quite lovely yeah yeah he did a nice job of kind of freshening up our logo johnny's profile is not the only profile that got a touch up this week we got ours done as well rate review subscribe on apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice i understand that by rating and reviewing on apple Podcasts, it does increase our algorithm again we'll have to ask miguel about that Yeah, we'll have to ask miguel about that but i understand it's a good thing if you do that so please do that rate us five stars and then yeah tell us whether you're team cobra kai or team miyagi Do. what about team reality but with that, we will see you next week when the episode will be Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode 7. Obstaculos. Obstaculos. Until then, I've been Colin Kennedy. I've been Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse, y'all.
0: This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson.
1: Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.